Well, maybe that was appropriate. That seems to be where we're headed is down. I, I really didn't want to play that song to open this program. I don't know how that happened. I, I just pressed the button and went out, and that was it. That's what happened. Hello, this is William Fink. This is the Christoginia European Fellowship Forum. And it's Thursday, January 5th, 2011. 2012! Man, I'm stuck on 2011. Okay, we should have about, um, 11 months and 10 days left till the end of the world, right? Uh, according to the, uh, according to the prophecies of some modern fools. I'll probably be joking about it all. Christian identity. The other night I did a presentation on um, Christogenia on Talk Show on the book of Obadiah, and a couple of questions came up about the blessings, and, and I really didn't mean to discuss the entire scope of the blessings which Isaac gave to Jacob and, and Esau. I really only wanted to show on that program that Esau had to be rejected. He had to be rejected by God. He had to because he, and he despised his own birthright, and he didn't get his birthright, and, and that's because he was a race mixer. Bottom line. And we'll be repeating some of that here. I, I'd like to um, discuss a couple of aspects. I can't, you can't discuss all of, all of the aspects of the blessings of Jacob and Esau history between the two and what they represent to us in, in the real world, and they are here in the real world today, you, you can't discuss it all in one program, not properly anyway. You, you might be able to hit on every aspect of it and, and give it a once-over, but it, it's pretty deep, and I don't think it can be discussed completely in, in a single program that there are many facets to this this um the story between these brothers, and, and they were singled out of all the Adamic creation for a reason, because it's through them that we should look at history ever since the time of at least the Exodus and the um, Israelite habitation in the ancient Canaan, that all history has revolved around Jacob and Esau, and everybody else in the world is merely coincidental. And that's the struggle of of, um, of Cain and of Abel and, and later, of course, Seth. It, it's the same struggle, but but it's um, Yahweh chose these brothers to personalize this struggle with. We have the brother that what was um, obedient to his family and appreciated his heritage, and we have the brother that was his own man. And who thought he could make his own rules. And, and that's the way I see Esau. And, and married who he wanted to marry and didn't really care, didn't have consideration for the will of God or for his race. We have, um, mo most men today are like Esau and not like Jacob, that's for sure. Even those men who profess Christianity want to make their own way and not God's way. And I'll talk about that a little bit at the end. Because we have a lot of people that claim to be Christian identity pastors who are really no better than Esau. 
Isaac blesses Jacob, and, and Isaac thought that Jacob was Esau, as I pointed out the other night in my program. And this is explicitly mentioned. I mean, I'm not making this up. This is explicitly mentioned a couple of times in this Genesis account in chapters 25 through 27 that, that Isaac loved Esau because of the good food that he brought him. Isaac loved Esau because he loved to eat venison. Isaac loved Esau because he loved his belly. There's no doubt. And Esau would have gotten the blessing if it weren't for Rebekah's intervention. Those blessings meant all the world in that day because men believed that their words had gravity. They believed their words, when they expressed them, would reflect what would actually happen. That's having faith in God when your words are in tune with the will of God. So Isaac blesses Jacob, who he thought was Esau, and he says, Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. I want to see some. I didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare for this program because I had some personal business to attend to this morning that ran very late. I couldn't hold it off. So it took away from it, it was supposed to happen yesterday and it didn't, so it happened this morning. I apologize for that. Therefore, God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren. And let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee. And it came to pass. As soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. So we see that Jacob received Esau's blessing. And we see that it's the blessing in, in almost all respects that Yahweh bestowed upon Abraham. We see that Jacob inherited the blessing of Abraham. Cursed be everyone that curses thee, and blessed be he that blesses thee. Both of nations serve him. Esau was very upset that he didn't get this blessing, because it is the blessing of the firstborn. Esau wanted a blessing, and Isaac explains, Genesis twenty seven thirty seven. And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him, meaning Jacob, thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants, meaning Esau would have to serve Jacob. And with corn and wine have I sustained him, and what shall I do now unto thee, my son? Well, Knowing who the Edomites are in history, and knowing who the um, 
children of Israel are, of course, we do see that the children of Edom were basically the servants to the children of Israel for almost 3,000 years. We can't, uh, there was a period of alienation until the time of David when David enslaved the Edomites. And the Edomites were slaves to the Israelites until the Assyrian and Babylonian conquests. And even after that, when the children, when, when the dispersed of Israel came to rule over the entire Adamic world, which occurred at the time of Alexander the Great and the rise of Parthians and the coming of Rome. All those people were the dispersed of, of the children of Israel. They were all Israelites by descent, with the Jephthah tribes mixed in with them. However, it was Israelites who, who led and built those civilizations. And the Edomites served them. The Edomites served them through their ability to merchandise and, and the things that they did. The, even Charlemagne had allowed the Edomite Jews into Europe so that he could use them for their money lending. Edomite Jews were the courts, were, were served at the courts of the Byzantine Empire. It was always for evil. It never worked out for good. But they did serve us for almost 3,000 years. It's very clear in history that our kings, our nobility, the Jews in Europe were, the Edomite Jews were chattel. They were property of the European nobles. In the end, it worked out to our detriment. There's no doubt. But they were the property of our nobles. And they did serve their purposes for several thousand years. There's no doubt. In one capacity or another. And they did wear that yoke that Isaac refers to. But they also broke that yoke and we paid for it with hell ever since. And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept. Paul refers to Esau's weeping. Paul puts it in a different context. Paul must have understood what this allegory in Genesis was really about. Pottage was an allegory. Esau's selling his birthright. I'm not doubting its historical veracity, but the selling of the pottage, the, the buying of the pottage, as Bertrand Compare said, that wasn't really Esau selling his birthright. Esau sold his birthright when he race mixed. Compare said, I agree that the pottage was really only the ceremony 
officiating the selling of the birthright. And, and I agree with that. that that's, um, I forget where Tom Perez said that, but I know that he did. I remember reading that in his work quite well. Paul referred to Esau's weeping in Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to read um, the first 17 verses from that chapter, because we have to see the context that this is in in order to really comprehend and make sense of the story. So Hebrews 12.1. So therefore, we also, now Paul's, Paul's trying to talk to people, he wrote this to the Hebrews, right? Not to the Jews, not to the Judeans. Paul in Romans chapter 9 clearly distinguishes um, between the Edomites, who, who were really practicing Canaanite practices, had a Canaanite religion, and really couldn't claim to be Hebrews, even though Esau was a Hebrew, and the actual Israelites in Judea, and Paul is, you know, he makes a clear distinction of them in Romans chapter 9. And we have to understand that Paul knows that difference when he writes all his epistles. He doesn't only know that difference when he writes it in Romans 9 and explains it there. All of Paul's epistles, evidently, when he wrote them all, he had that consciousness. He understood what he was saying. He understood the difference between Jacob and Esau. And the presence of both of them in ancient Judea and in the ancient world. And they're still in our world today. Both of them. Jacob and Esau. So therefore, we also having a great cloud of witnesses lying around us, laying aside every pretension and easily attention-getting error about Hollywood. And endurance should run the race line before us, looking to Yahshua, the founder and completer of the faith, who for the sake of the joy lying before him endured the cross, having despised chain and is seated at the right hand of the throne of Yahweh. Consider he who has endured such great controversy from wrongdoers in regard to himself, that you not be weary, your soul's giving way. Not yet have you resisted as far as blood struggling against wrongdoing. So, so we see that when the time comes, we should resist so far as blood in struggling against sin and against wrongdoing. Christians have totally forfeited that responsibility in today's society. Rather, they, they sit in these church pews and they let their pastor or priest or minister stand up there and tell them that they have to accept wrongdoers. That they have to accept men marrying men. It's absolutely incredible. It, it's absolutely anti-Christian, right? And you have utterly forgotten the exhortation which with you as sons he converses. And I quote, and Paul is quoting from the Psalms, My son, do not esteem lightly, or from the Proverbs, My son, do not esteem lightly the discipline of Yahweh, nor saints being censured by him, for whom Yahweh loves, he disciplines, 
and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now Paul says, you endure discipline as sons Yahweh engages with you. For what is a son whom a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which you have all become partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. Accordingly, we have had as disciplinarians our fathers of the flesh, and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits, and we shall live? Indeed, they for a few days had disciplined in accordance with that which is determined by them. But he, meaning God, for a benefit, for which to have a share in his holiness. His holiness is his sanctity. It's that separation that we were commanded to practice in this world. That separation from the other races. That separation from the foreign gods. Television and Las Vegas casinos. Gambling, theater, <clears throat> Jewish theater, they're all foreign gods. Now, any discipline for the present seems not to be of joy, but of grief, though later returns peaceable fruit of righteousness to those having been trained by it. On which account you straighten up those dropping hands and flagging knees, and you make straight courses with your feet that the lame not be turned aside, but rather would be healed. Pursue peace at all, and sanctification, here's that word again, hagiosmos, holiness, sanctification. That holiness, something in the ancient world was considered holy when it was placed on an altar and dedicated to a god. That object, sometimes it was precious gold. So it, it, sometimes it was something of great value that the person who made the offering was forfeiting to the God, hoping to be in the favor of that God. That's how it worked. That's how the ancient Greek pagan temples worked. Yahweh talks to us through the implements of the culture that we have established. If you walked into a temple of Zeus and you wanted to curry the favor of Zeus, you would throw your gold up on the altar, and that gold would become the property of the temple. You could go to a temple of Diana or at Ephesus with your daughter that you can't afford to support, or, or perhaps nobody wants to marry her, and you would throw her up there, and she becomes the property of the temple. And she becomes a temple whore. That's how it works. And she worked for the temple, and you hoped, in your superstition, to gain the favor of, of, of Diana, the god of the Greeks, the goddess of, of the Greeks, or the Romans, Artemis in Greek. When Yahweh commanded Abraham, put Isaac on that altar, 
all of Isaac and all of his progeny, everything to come out of his loins, Cain, the property of God. That includes Esau. That includes Esau as well as Jacob. That's why Paul explains that the two vessels from the same lump, one of those vessels is for mercy, and one of them is for destruction. But there's more to that story. There's a lot more to that story. There's a lot of identity so-called pastors who only want to see that part of the story. And I'll talk about that at the end. Here we see in Hebrews 12.14 that we're told to pursue peace with all and sanctification. That's that holiness, that separateness. The children of Israel in the loins of Isaac were separated for the purposes of God. And that separation was vociferated again, demanded again by God at Mount Sinai. We are to be separate. And Paul says here in Hebrews 12 that without that sanctification, no one can see God. Hebrews 12, 14. If you don't keep yourself separate, your bastard children, they're not going to see God. There are some clowns in Christian identity claiming that bastards are going to be judged before Christ. Paul was saying here in 12, 14, Hebrews 12, 14, that if you don't have that sanctification, you will not see Christ. You will never see God. It's like a fire for you, pal. That's the way it is. That's the basic result of the creation of a bastard. The bastard goes to the lake of fire. It cannot be separate. It, can, it can't possibly be. It can be separated. It can't possibly be separate. It can't possibly be sanctified to Yahweh. Without that sanctification, no one can see God, period. And Paul knew it. That's why he wrote it here. Watching closely that not any are lacking from the favor of Yahweh. Lest any root of bitterness springing up that root of bitterness, that gall of, of deceit and bile, that the, the 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 vine of Sodom is the root of bitterness. Clifton wrote a paper about that one. Lest any root of bitterness springing up would trouble you. Paul's talking about people. He's talking about bastards. That's how a root of bitterness springs up to cause us trouble, because they're bastards and not sons. I think I quoted a Greek writer once that the bastard was always trouble to the true-born son. And we see that in Scripture. We see that in the story of Ishmael and, and, um, and, and Jacob. And Ishmael was almost certainly white, but his mother was a Hamite. God didn't want Ham to gain his grace because of his sin. 
So the air had to come from Shem. Now, why does Paul bring up Esau here? Because Esau, the story of Esau is related to the theme of bastards. It has to be. Because Esau was not, did not appreciate the holiness for which his father Isaac was put aside for on that altar. Esau must have known the story. So Paul is making a contrast here. Sons and bastards. Holiness and profanity. Lest not any root of bitterness springing up would trouble you, and by it many would be defiled. That's right. You introduce a bastard into your community, and by it many are defiled. You have a half-breed child that goes out and defiles how many young white girls? Because you brought a half-breed home. Because you introduced a bastard into your community, and you expect your neighbors and your kinsmen to marry the children of the bastard. Wonderful. So when you let a root of bitterness spring up, many are defiled by it. Nor some fornicator, and that's the context here, or profane person is Esau, who for one meal sold his own birthright. Esau was a fornicator. He was a race mixer. You want to know what was wrong with Esau? Paul defines it here. You want to define what a fornicator is? Go back and see what Esau did. He mixed his race. He married Canaanite women. For you know that even afterwards, desiring to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he did not find a place for repentance, even though he sought after it with tears. He didn't find, I, I explained the other night, he didn't find a place for repentance because he couldn't have the birthright. He couldn't have it. He couldn't have it. Because he race mixed. He had no legitimate offspring. Canaanites can't inherit the birthright. Canaanites can't inherit the promises God gave to Abraham. Esau went out and took an Ishmaelite wife when he saw that his father was displeased with his Canaanite wives. That didn't get him anywhere. Ishmael himself was already put away from the birthright, was already excluded. How could his children possibly be included? We're not told who Ishmael married, but at least part of what we know today is the Arab races, namely the Nabataeans, had sprung from that from 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 his loins, and they're all mixed. That's why they're called Arabs. They're called Arabs because they were mixed. Otherwise, they would have a different name. They wouldn't have been called Arabs if they weren't mixed. They were called Arabs at a very early time. Paul's reference to Esau's weeping was in the context of Esau being a profane man and a fornicator. 
Here this is not so evident. But we must realize, and Paul certainly knew it, that the misfortune we suffer in life is not always directly connected with what we see as the reasons for that misfortune. Esau, if we go back and read Genesis 20, Esau blamed Jacob for being supplanted by him. So Esau wanted to kill Jacob. Without Jacob, Esau still would have lost his birthright. Without Jacob, Yahweh would have found a way to get that birthright to somebody else. There's no doubt, because Esau couldn't have it. He was a race mixer. And Yahweh made a promise to Abraham and his offspring forever. And he told them that they would inherit the earth and be like the stars of heaven. Well, if it was up to Esau, heaven would have only had three stars in it. Esau, Isaac, and Abraham. And that wasn't what the promise of God was. So we needed somebody that cared about their race. And there would have been somebody, whether it was Jacob or somebody else. But Esau blamed Jacob. He blamed Jacob rather than blaming his own self. Esau should have instead wondered why Yahweh would allow such a thing to happen in the first place. Why would God allow what Esau perceived as an injustice? Esau perceived it an injustice that Jacob ended up with the birthright and blamed Jacob, and he should have spent time figuring out how he screwed up that Esau ended up with his birthright. When we suffer misfortune, and Paul puts all that together here in Hebrews chapter 12, we are being chastised. Esau was chastised to the point of losing his place and his birthright, and he still didn't repent. He tried, but he couldn't do it. That is the overall lesson of Hebrews chapter 12. It's also the overall lesson of, of the story between Jacob and Esau. We can't go through life making our own rules up. We have to go through life inquiring what is the will of Yahweh. So here in Hebrews 12, Paul is talking about chastisement and brings Esau up as an example. Paul also tells us that those who are not chastised are bastards and not sons. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1. Righteous art thou, O Yahweh, when I plead with thee, yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are all they happy that deal so treacherously? Esau was chastised, and he didn't repent, and he is our example. And for that reason, Daniel chapter 12 says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. These aren't the people that go into the lake of fire. 
that awaken to ever, everlasting contempt. These are the people of ours. These are children of Israel. These are children of God who acted like Esau. Everlasting contempt. They have no reward in heaven. They'll be there, but their contempt is everlasting because their works were weighed in the balance and found wanting. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, those who learn from their chastisement. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Some of us learn from our chastisement and then go out and try to save our brethren from making the same mistakes that we made and turn many to righteousness. That's what Daniel is saying. Christian identists tend to reduce the Bible and their perception of reality to two kinds of people, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and to judge everyone as falling into one of these two categories. Now, in the end, that's true. But life, in the meantime, is much more complex than that. And we should constantly remind ourselves that just as there are wolves in sheep's clothing, there are also sheep in wolves' clothing. Often our own people act wickedly. They act like bastards. They act like Esau did. Jeremiah says, Righteous art thou, O Yahweh, when I pled with thee, yet Let me talk with thee of thy judgments. This is um, this is rhetorical, but Jeremiah is basically saying, I don't understand your judgments, God. These wicked people, they're having a hell of a good time. Wherefore, thus, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are all they happy to deal very treacherously? And we see our rulers, we see the, the, the rich, wealthy Jewish merchants, the, the Hollywood starlets that sold their asses for 15 minutes, the, the, um, the whores and the sellouts to the Babylonian mercantile system, the people of our race who have sold themselves to Babylon, and all of our enemies. They seem to do very well. They seem to be rich. They seem to be wealthy. They seem to be having great lives. We should not be envious of them. Because we know that we have a life to come. And then we know that we have to suffer chastisement in this life. But the children of our enemies do not suffer that chastisement. Esau finally blesses Isaac. I'm sorry, Isaac finally blesses Esau. Genesis chapter 27, verses 39 through 41. And I'll read the King James Version, because I want to talk about that for a bit. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth, and all the dew of heaven from above. I'm going to talk about that line a little. And by the sword shalt thou live, and shalt serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass 
when thou shalt have the dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And Esau hated Jacob, as I've already discussed, because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The day of mourning for my father are at hand, then will I slay my brother Jacob. Well, Esau thought he'd get the birthright for himself if he slayed his brother Jacob. You know, a humble man in Esau's position would realize that he screwed up and pray that Jacob do well so that his father's seed could last forever upon the earth. Esau still doesn't repent. He doesn't care about his seed. He doesn't care about the promises to his grandfather Abraham. He only cares about himself. That's most of our race today. They're all, like, they're, they're all a bunch of Esau's. There are many more Esau's in the world than there are Jacob's. And I'm not talking about the Jews. They can't be Esau. Esau was Adamic. The Jews might be his descendants, but they're all bastards. And by the sword shalt thou live. And we have seen that the Edomite Jews, even when they long ceased from being warriors and, and started being merchants, even then, wherever they go, they fomented war. They do it all the time. While they don't yield the sword themselves, they do live by the sword, there's no doubt. And as I've already explained, the Edomite Jews did serve Jacob, probably all the way up through the Middle Ages to the 15th, 16th century, when that yoke started to come off from the neck of the Edomites. And I believe that that culminated with the French Revolution. And ever since then, they have had the dominion. That is when Esau gained the dominion in the early 19th century and the emancipation of the Jew in Europe. And the natural result, when you let wolves into the sheepfold, is that the wolves are running things. That's just the way it works. If you had a fold with a thousand sheep and ten wolves, the wolves are running the sheepfold, and they're telling that they're choosing out which sheep live, which sheep die, which sheep goes where. There's no doubt that happened with the French Revolution. Esau has had the dominion ever since. Our kingdom has been handed over to the beast in that process. Here in America, that was 1913. In England, it was even before the French Revolution. The English were, were, were handed over to the Jews by their rulers when the Bank of England was founded. But in most of the Europe, it was in, in, it was in the emancipation of the early 19th century. I want to talk about this blessing in um, Genesis 27-39. That's because it was brought to my attention that translations other than the King James Version read quite differently. I'm going to read the, um, the NAS, New American Standard Version, I guess that means. Genesis 27, 39. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, 
Away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew from the dew from heaven above. If that was the way to read Genesis twenty seven thirty nine, then we would see that for Esau his blessing would be very much like the curse of Cain. I thought I had it in the window here, and I tricked myself, I guess. I lost it somehow. Cain, in Genesis 4.14, was driven from the face of the earth, right? When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall not be upon the earth. Well, if Esau's dwelling, and that word doesn't really mean dwelling. The word is mashab, Strong's number 4186. It's a seat or an assembly, primarily. And because of that, it could be, by extension, a dwelling place or a dwelling. It could be a situation or an abode. It's not really a home, like a habit, a, a, a bet, in, in a ha-bet, in the Latin word habit, habitatus. So it's not really a home, but it could be a dwelling. But only as in the sense of a seat or an assembly, which seems to me to have the wider community sense not the personal individual sense. Since it could also mean a sitting company or an assembly. And that would be true. It would definitely be true of the children of Esau. Esau was a hunter. The Edomite Jew is a race. They're not hunters. They're merchants. They're bankers. They're panderers. Poor masters, they're not hunters, traditional sense. And they're sure as hell not farmers in the traditional sense. They're tax farmers. They've done plenty of tax farming. They haven't done much agrarian farming. So in a way, if that reading is correct, and, and I, I have to say, for in, in defense of the King James reading of this verse, that none of the ancient translations agree with the modern translations of Genesis 27-39. And this was brought up on Saturday when, when I had an open call-in session. Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling or your assembly place, right? where you would conduct your business. And that is absolutely true of the Edomite Jew. And away from the dew of, of heaven from above, which means that you won't see too many. That, that's how I read that. And we don't, not in their occupations, 
There aren't too many Edomite Jews out in the rain in their occupations, that's for sure. The Douay-Rheims version of the um, Vulgate says, Isaac being moved said to him, in the, in the fat of the earth and in the dew of heaven from above would be his dwelling. And that Latin word in means in, meaning in or on or upon. So the Vulgate translation of, and, and I, I looked at the Latin, right? Not that I read it, but I can, as long as I got my dictionary open. The, the Douay Reims Latin is nothing like the modern versions of the blessing of Esau in our. And Breton's, Breton's English to the Septuagint says, and Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above. And, and this is where we have to straddle the two translations. The King James but where it says, Thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above. And Breton's English agrees with that, totally. But that's contrary to all of the more modern translations, which says, Behold, I, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from, from above. But the Greek, the Greek can support those modern translations, and that's because in the Greek, the preposition is apo, where it says of. And apo can be used in a sense of alienation, where the preposition ek denotes source or origin from, from of, from out of. The preposition apo, apo can mean a separation from. And that's how all of the modern translations read the Hebrew preposition. So the Greek can support either the King James Version or the modern translations, depending on how you read the preposition apo. The actual Hebrew preposition, as we read it in the Masoretic text, According to Strong's, and this is Strong's number 4480, according to Strong's enhanced lexicon, has a basic meaning of out of or away from. So here we see a difference in, in the, all the new translations opposed to the King James, the Latin Vulgate, and the, the English of Breton Septuagint and the Greek of Breton Septuagint can support either way, depending on how you want to read the preposition apo. So that's just confusing as hell, right? So we have Genesis 2739, and I'm, I'm not going to make a decision. I'm not casting a vote for one side or the other here, because it could go either way.
Does Genesis 27:39 say, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above? Or does it say, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above? And I gave this a lot of thought. Genesis 27:39, the way the modern translations read it, is very much like the curse of Cain. And I have to lean towards that because you see it is historically accurate. But the way the King James reads it, that's not necessarily to be discounted. Maybe it's true either way. Because the Edomites, being merchants, their assembly certainly was amongst all the fruits of the earth. They just weren't the ones that grow them. They just aren't the ones that produce them. They're only the ones that collect them and buy and trade them. So either way, Genesis 27:39 is read, as far as I'm concerned. It's basically accurate. Either way, it doesn't bother me that it's one way or the other. It seems to be historically accurate either way. Because the Edomite Jews, who are the world's premier merchant, I mean, we have to give them that. that there's nothing like a Jew for the, the ability to buy, sell, and screw people all at one time and, and make money from nothing. The Jew is a master at that and a master at enslaving people for, for it. From what, from watching others, from watching others work the soil, and from watching others sweat to, to to reap the fruits of the earth, and the Jew comes and takes it all away. Either way, you read Genesis twenty seven thirty nine is right by me. It don't matter, <laughs> and I think we should probably always read it both ways. Because the Greek can go either way. The Vulgate of the Latin, the Latin of the Vulgate supports the King James reading, the traditional reading. But all modern translations are, are um, follow basically the way the New American Standard translation. Talking about Esau, talking about a man who would make his own rules up, and follow his own way, and not care one bit about the word or the will of God. You know, we have these so-called Christian identity pastors. And they all love Obadiah 18. They love Obadiah 18 because they say that Obadiah 18... And it does prophecies the complete demise of the Edomite Jew. And there's no doubt it does. But then they say that the only people that are going to be completely destroyed by God in the Bible are the Edomite Jews. And that's a lie. And all of the clowns 
that want to follow certain false pastors in that claim are liars. They all love Obadiah 118, and they all refuse to read Obadiah 116. If they would only back up two verses, maybe they should read Obadiah from the beginning instead of just reading 118. Obadiah 116 says, and it's talking to Esau, for as you have drunk upon my holy mountain. Now the holy mountain is the children of God. The children of Israel, they are the holy mountain. This is all allegorical. Yes, they inhabited the land of Israel, but that's not the holy mountain. For as you have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Well, that word heathen, that's goyim. And the clowns of identity that want to limit Obadiah to just 118, they understand that that word heathen means nations. That's the word goyim, ethnoi in the Septuagint, in the Greek. That means nations. So shall all the nations drink continually. Yeah, they shall drink. And we see, since the breaking of the yoke of Jacob from around the neck of Esau, when Esau got the dominion, ever since that time, have all the other nations of the world drank from the fruits of the children of Israel. Ever since that time, the children of Esau have used the empathy, the good-naturedness, the good-heartedness, and the stupidity of the sheep to feed the whole world out of the sheepfold. At this very time, Esau is drinking upon the holy mountain of Yahweh. And Esau has invited all the nations to drink continually from the holy mountain of Yahweh. Obadiah 1.16 yeah, they shall drink and they shall swallow down. And they shall be made as though they had not been. Obadiah 1.16 is saying that all the nations drinking from Yahweh's holy mountain shall be as though they had not been. That's exterminationism. Brought to you by Yahweh. All the nations. Revelation chapter 20. We see that Satan. And the Edomite Jew. Is a manifestation of Satan. Revelation chapter 12. They are. Amongst. The assembly. The synagogue. Of Satan. There is no doubt. We see in Revelation chapter 20. That Satan would gather. All the nations. Against the children of Israel. That's where we are in this present time. We see in Obadiah that they shall be made as though they had not been. That is why Paul says at 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the account of the cross is folly to those who are going to die. But to those who are being preserved, to us, that's Paul's words, it is the power of Yahweh. What is the power of Yahweh? I'll tell you what the power of Yahweh is. That we, the children of Israel, are going to be preserved. And that they, the heathens drinking upon Yahweh's holy mountain, are all going to be made as though they had not been.
That is the gospel of God. Those are the words of God. I am not going to be ashamed of them. Anyone who wants to label me an exterminationist must be a Jew. That's ADL talk. That is talk that we hear from the mouths of the Jews in response to the word of God all the time. That extremist rhetoric that comes from the enemies of God when they deny his scripture. That's what's coming out of the mouths of Christian identity pastors today. That is sickening that anybody in Christian identity lets those clowns get away with that. If you listen to those people and let them get away with that and not tell them that they are doing the bidding of the enemies of God, then you partake in their sins. It's an amazing thing that somebody could call themselves a Christian identity pastor and be ashamed of the gospel of God and deny it. They're denying it. We are demanded to be separate. We are demanded to be sanctified. And if we are not, as Paul says in Hebrews, we shall not see God. And they sure as hell aren't going to see God. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11, For I am with thee, saith Yahweh, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered thee, I will not make a full end of thee. That's repeated in Jeremiah. That's in Jeremiah twice. It's in Jeremiah 46, 28, and it's in Jeremiah 30, 11. Maybe God repeated that in Jeremiah twice, so that these clowns would get it. They still deny it. It's absolutely incredible. I had to get that in. I would like some discussion. I mean, you, you, I'm going to turn the, um, the microphones on for the Europeans. If any Americans want to speak, you're more than welcome to speak. Just let me know that you want your microphone turned on. Hello, anybody out here? Yeah, we're here. Do I miss anybody? No. Very interesting. How are we doing? Well, I'm doing fine. <laughs> hello, Taya. Hello, Dorcas. Hello, Otilia. Hi there. Hello. Thank you for that. For that. You... You clarified that very clearly. Very, very good. Because there's so much. Um, I'm getting in. I'm getting a replay. I don't know whether you can hear it. Um, you know, because people do misunderstand scripture. You know, just as an example, uh, in Genesis, we know the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for example. And then later on it says, Genesis 3.22, the Almighty says, the man has become as one of us to know um, good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, 
Um, so they were sent out of the garden. These things, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, did say, was was a race of people, and I can't quite grasp why he would say um, that now that humanity would know, um, take hold of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So there's a lot of um, understanding that one has to come to in scripture. It's not sort of absolutely spelt out plainly. One has to keep searching for it. And I feel that you are clearing up a lot of ambiguity in Scripture. That's the right way to say that word. <laughs> well, well, that should always be our endeavor, right? I mean, it's not hard. It's not rocket science. Read no. the Bible and believe it. No. That's the takes. Mm. Too many people want to, um, there, there are too many people who want to believe something and then find it in the Bible. And, and that's not the way we interpret our Bible. No. The Bible and believe the Bible and, and then arrive at our beliefs and conclusions from reading the Bible. Yeah. But people in Christian identity, they have their conclusions first, and then they go look for them in the Bible. That's yeah. backwards. <clears throat> also, I don't think we've ever had a, a historian uh, teaching the gospel message. You must have been sent for this particular time because... I mean, if you get um, pastors in churches, they're only taught what's gone before. No one has been a historian in his own right. Um, so that's what we've needed. Thankfully, we've been given it. And I'm grateful for that. Well, I don't know if I qualify as a real historian, right? I just, um, but we have to understand the context that the gospel was given in. It, it's context. It's all about context. Cultural context is extremely important to understanding any book. Yes, true. I mean, I could pick up a book about Shanghai and, and, and um, Beijing that, or whatever that were translated from Chinese, and I wouldn't understand it because I don't know anything about China. I don't want to know anything about China anyway, but but no, you you wouldn't understand it. You wouldn't understand ancient stories unless you understand the ancient world. That's the way it is. Mm. And and the whole Bible has to be understood in context. Yeah, such a lot cover, isn't there? I think the task that sort of never ends is learning. No doubt. About scripture and the meaning. Well, we have too many people with agendas that, that, that want to find their agendas in the Bible. 
And we have to read the whole Bible first, understand the ancient world, understand the Bible, understand who it was written to, understand when it was written, yes. who was writing it, who they were addressing. And, and then we, that after we read the entire Bible, we have to come to our conclu- conclusions from the Scripture and not vice versa. Yes. And, and these people... I'm sorry, Taylor, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that I had somebody the other day who came to me and said that this particular scripture of uh, Jacob I have loved and Esau hated, he said the word isn't really hate, it's disliked. God doesn't dislike anybody. So I actually got into the Greek word, and I said it says hate here. It doesn't say dislike. But he came from Sicily, and I think his own origins were questionable. And therefore, he was looking for some way out in the scripture. Hmm. Well, well, absolutely, because that verb in the Greek, that verb, miseo, is to hate. It is to hate, it is to abhor. It, it has all the meanings that our words hate and abhor. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. to try to change the meaning to those words. Mm-hmm. I do have a question on the on that chapter. Not on well, it, it doesn't include what you've just mentioned, but if if you look at let me put my specs on, um, verse twelve of Genesis twenty seven, and Joseph says, "Perhaps my father will feel me and and shall seem to and I shall seem to be a deceiver." Um, and will bring a curse upon myself. And then his mother says, let your curse be upon me, my son. Now he obeys her. But when you, when you think about it, he left and she never ever saw him again. And I just wonder, does a curse work that way? Well, well, you know, she must have think it worked that way to say those things. Right. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I just read that as her just encouraging him and, and telling him not to worry about it. You know, that I'll have as much, you know, to do with your curse that, that I'll take the brunt of it. I, I'll take the responsibility for what you're doing. Yeah. She put him up to it, and she was willing to accept the responsibility for it if he got caught. That's why I read that. Fair enough. Um, it's just that we do seem to have criticism uh, and, and so forth in the Bible, and uh, it's something that we, we don't ever deal with uh, in our presence. Uh, well, we use curses and, and blessings all the time today, but we don't give them any thought because we have such a, a such a talky society. How, how do I explain it? Well, words are cheap today. Words mean nothing. Yeah, everybody wants to watch a movie. <laughs> but we bless people and curse people all the time today. We don't give it any thought because words are so cheap. <laughs> yes. I, I've always assumed that in the Bible they, they did um, um, believe and in the curse. For example, in Proverbs, somewhere it says that a curse Causeless to not alive. 
When when I read not, not only the scripture but a lot of old books, Danny, we're still getting feedback from you, right? It's going to be terrible on a recording. Danny, your microphone is too. No, hold on. I don't know. You don't have a headset, do you? Yeah. How's that? Well, well, we'll see. No, no, it's still not good enough. You, you have to pick your, your micro. I tried to type it to you a few minutes ago, right? Ah. Uh, yeah. You have to pick your microphone. You have to turn down your sensitivity. Okay, hold on. I haven't done anything. Everything is. Well, wait a minute here. Let me. Well, well when I read the, the Bible and a lot of ancient books, my, my full impression was that when people spoke. 3,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago, when men spoke, they believed their words would be fulfilled. Right. When they spoke, they, they, they believed their words had weight and force and authority, and, and that what they uttered, they would follow through on, and, and that what they uttered would come to pass. Right. And today, words are so cheap to us. What we to, oh, I wish he'd go jump off a roof. Yeah, you know what? We talk so cheaply, knowing that our words are never going to come to pass. We treat our words like garbage. We treat our words as if they're meaningless. And, and it's something that's inherent in our culture. Our culture has been perverted. The way we think, the way we were trained, the way we were educated, it's all wrong. Uh, that, that is true now. <clears throat> yeah. Words are so cheap to us. I think a lot of that is the television and radio, the mass media influence. Yes, yes, I think so. I think the television is an enormous damage. Oh, yes. Definitely the TV, the media. When Jacob, when Isaac blessed his sons, when Jacob blessed his sons, those words that they spoke of their sons, they fully expected to be fulfilled. And they were. Yes, they were. But today, to us, words mean nothing. We, we talk and talk and talk and talk, and, and what we say means nothing to most of us most of the time. And we've all just caught up in that. <clears throat> it's one facet of the denigration of our culture. You no, know, even even as recently as the 19th century, men would fight over words. I, I mean, you would go. <laughs> out back and you would beat the living hell out of each other because somebody misspoke. Right. Men took their words a lot more seriously. In, in this age of television and Jewish pop culture, we, we our words mean nothing all of a sudden. Right. David has a quote from Plato here. A wise man speaks because he has something to say and a fool speaks because he has to say something. And today we have a preponderance of folly in society. Think this is scripture which says, mm -hmm. "Who can't words 
that comes out of your mouth. Every idle and vain word, right. Yeah. That, that's actually, um... No, I'm sorry, I got the wrong. Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Oh, I shudder to think of the things I said when I was young and stupid. And now I'm old and stupid. I still say stupid things. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a verse in Psalms, in Second Psalms, um, 7, which uh, I try to point out to people, you know, about the about who Yahweh really loves and how he has dedicated himself to his children, that, uh, you know, he's begotten us and he gave all the nations for thine inheritance out in part of the earth for thy possession. And you shall rule them with a rod of iron, thou shalt break them to pieces like a potter's vessel. There it is. <laughs> so how are we all the same? I like to ask them. <laughs> and, they, and a lot of born-again Christians, they want to say that, well, you know, all you have to do is believe. That's it. But that's not what it says. You have to believe, but you better believe what it says. You know, that's... Um, that they don't understand that I, I always found that uh, they, uh, the Israelites, that, that is a problem that uh, people have. They don't understand who the Israelites are. Well, well, that's the difference between Christianity and paganism. And paganism, a name, what one facet of paganism is that a name becomes like a talisman like an incantation, and use the name and attribute power to it, and, and project it where you want to project it. And that's how they believe. It's, they, they don't believe in Yahshua Christ. They don't believe in Christ. They, they claim to believe in Jesus and they're saved. They use that word Jesus. They have no idea what he was about. They have no idea what he said. Right. We're, we're still getting way too much feedback from you, Danny. It's horrible. Wow. I don't know. I don't hear any, everything. It sounds great on my end. Well, well, I see your light lighting as we talk, and we're hearing ourselves twice. All right. If I'm talking and your light's going up, there's a problem. Right. Well, okay, let me try it here. Settings and options and capture, capture and slide and that bar to the right. How's that? I don't know until I talk. No, it's still no good. Slide it a little more to the right. Okay. You can, you can turn down the volume in your headset, too. Okay, let me try that. That might be the problem. Wearing the headset might help, too. Yeah, I'm wearing it. And I have my... Uh, CLB chat on. How about the, well, I clicked uh, 
I checked that echo reduction. And let's see, voice aggravation. Maybe I'll try that. Sorry, you guys. But we're supposed to work all these problems out before programming. But sometimes you don't know you've got a problem until you hear it. So. It was here last night. I didn't detect a problem last night. I really didn't. I don't, I don't know what's up. I don't know what it is. Something's different. I don't know what it is. Probably a different computer. Well, well, it seems to be better now. Danny, say something to me. He may have made it so unsensitive that it won't pick up his voice. <laughs> <laughs> now you guys say something. Well, well, I'd be glad to take questions. I mean, if anybody has sort of scriptural questions about what I spoke about, I, I don't know. Maybe Clifton wants to say something. I'll turn Clifton's microphone on in case he wants to say something. All right. Just got a question, another question about something else, if that's okay. Of course it's okay. Talking about Deuteronomy 23, where it said um, the children, well, I haven't got the full quote, um, I think verified, I can't understand, you know, the children of the third generation born to them may enter the congregation of Yahweh. Um, can you tell me why it was the third generation, particularly, that they would react to answer? When, uh, I think, I haven't even got my bike, I've got my computer on my lap, so, um, I wondered if there was any significance from the third generation um, that they gave to enter congregation. Deuteronomy 23, verse 8. Yeah, that's a very good verse. Well, well, we're talking about strangers, right? We're talking, we're not talking about Edomites here. We're talking about Aramaeans, Syrians, and Egyptians. We're talking about the white. Genesis 10 Adamic nations surrounding that, that that are neighbors to the children of Israel and who are cousins. I mean, who are related? Right? Mm. Now, now these this word stranger in Deuteronomy 23:7 is gair. Okay, there are five words at least. There might be six words translated stranger in the King James version of the Old Testament. They all have different meanings. A nekar is a racial alien. And they're never to be accepted into the congregation, period. But a dare, a dare is somebody of another nation who has the rights and expectation of, of 
hospitality and 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 of you know fair treatment in your nation. Adair is somebody of another Adamic family that that is in your country. It, it's like today, if, if, a, if a white American came to Britain and you encountered that white American person in Britain, that white American person has, or a Canadian or, or, or a, a German, has an expectation that you're going to treat him fairly and with hospitality, right? So yeah. that's what a gare is in Hebrew. That's what a gare stranger is. A gare is not a racial alien. Adair is somebody of another Adamic Genesis 10 nation who has that expectation of hospitality when he comes into your land. And here it's the Aramaeans and the Egyptians who could become, who could join themselves to the Israelites. Other white nations could join themselves to the Israelites. And after three generations where they would have to intermarry with their own people, they could become accepted in your community. And and I believe that the three generations are because we have to test these people out to see if they are upright and decent people and uh, not children of that root of bitterness. Yes. Yes. Mm. If there's evil in a family or a race, it should be evident in three generations, right? That, that's what I would say. That's yes. how I would read this. Yes, sir. I mean, really, uh, we were to treat the alien with respect to that uh, if they visited the country. But, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous now because the alien has been given full rights as soon as he puts his foot in the country. Well, right. And, and this tells us that even our fellow white man, those dare strangers to the what would have to spend three generations in the land to prove their uprightness and, and honesty and, and their good intercourse. Yeah. If they're not good people, they're not going to last three generations in the land, right? No. No. Makes sense, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, oh, there's a big difference between being an Edomite by blood and being an Edomite because you live there, too, you know? Always got to go by the context. Well, genealogy and geography is something we've always screwed up. <laughs> Everywhere we've gone, we screwed it up, right from the beginning. Right from, right from the time of David and Solomon, it was screwed up. Right from the time of Judges, it was screwed up. One of the first um, civil wars that the Israelites had were because the children of Benjamin were defending men of Belial. Mm. So nothing's changed, really. But we're witnessing it. First. It's the same mistakes all over again. We keep repeating them because we never learn. Because we have pastors that aren't historians, Betty. Yes, absolutely. 
right, NAACP. Now Africans are called people. That's I'll let, you, I'll let you use that one. I'll let you use that one, David. Martin, did you have something for us? Yeah, actually, so you were talking about how a, a, a name being infused with power, and it just brings to mind uh, when Jacob was uh, was wrestling with a man, and he asked him for for his name. Right, well, people, people in their superstition all the time attributed powers to a name. We still do it. That, that's the way these pagan Catholics invoke the name of Mary or invoke the name of Jesus. They do it because they, they attribute power to the name alone. And, and that's a pagan outlook. <clears throat> Yeah, and a lot of times they would get the name from uh, a deity or a spirit or whatever so they could uh, get control over it somehow. Well, well, that was part of the ancient pagan world also. That was their hope. Yeah, you know, they tried to make uh, his name, uh, Yeshua or Jesus' name or whatever, out to be like a magical spell. Like, if you say poof, you know, it's like, it doesn't make any sense. Well, well there's a word in, in the... Um there's a word in the New Testament that, that is um, very poorly understood today. And, and let me, you know, in the New Testament, I think it's in Acts chapter 16 or 17, right? Where the woman has the spirit of the python, and two men are using her to profit from her ability to prophecy, right? Do you remember that story in the book of Acts? Right, absolutely. I didn't realize the the thing about the python part. Well, well, yeah, the python is the giant serpent that Apollo destroyed, and that became the later site of, of that. Um, you know, the words lost on me. That that temple that they all flocked to in northern Greece, but where the pythoness, the woman was called the pythoness. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 um, right, thank you, Delphi, the temple at Delphi. I, I'm, I'm just lost, right? That, that's the, the priestess at the temple of, of Delphi who was able to prophesy. She was called the Pythoness. Python with ESS tacked on the end, right? The Pythoness. She was the priestess of the, 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 um, the, the spirit of prophecy imparted on the the precinct the the where the temple of Delphi was built, that men thought that they could come speak to this priestess and she would tell them their futures. And it was always in riddles, right? Yeah, and that's, that's about what the Greeks called the spirit of prophecy and it came from the serpent. Because the Python was a giant serpent. So now you see where that idea comes from, right? So, yeah. so <laughs> kind of interesting. Every, thing, every time I hear a Delphi, it makes me think of dolphins. So that, that's an interesting. I'll, I'll try well, to well that's actually what Delphi is. Is yeah, yeah. There is a relationship there, etymology, but there, there's no direct relationship. Well, well, anyway, the the, um, the Pythoness was able to had the spirit of a prophetess. You know, she was able to prophesy. 
And the source from that is grounded in evil. Okay, in sorcery and things that the, the children of Israel in the Old Testament were told to stay away from. Now, these two men were pissed off at Paul for, for um, casting this demon out of this woman because they lost their opportunity to profit by her, the demon speaking through this woman so that she could prophesy. That's what happened there, right? And, and then in Acts chapter 19, we see another man in, who, who's possessed by a demon, and then it says, then certain of the vagabond Jews, comma, exorcists, comma, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, now that word exorcist, in the Catholic Church, it came to, to bear the meaning of someone who casts out demons. But that's not the original use of the word, and that's not the use of the word in Acts. The word exorcist, exorcizo in Greek, means to adjure, to summon, to, to exhort. And these vagabond Jews, they are exorcists, meaning that they want to exhort the evil spirit so that they could take advantage of it and profit by it. They don't want to cast it out. They want to profit by it. Man, you got a sharp eye, brother. Well, well, that's the meaning of the word. That, that's anybody that studies the Greek should understand that. But all these asshole pastors and priests who have all taken Greek in school, they don't get it. I, I can't help it. That, that's the way it is. But that's what it really means makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, I watch all these things about the exorcisms and exorcists and all that stuff, and it always comes back stronger and stronger. That's exactly what they're doing. A absolutely. Well, the original meaning of the word exorcizo means to exhort, to adjure the evil spirits. Why? Because you want to profit by them. Because you, you want to find something out that should be unknown to you and, and use that to profit. And, and that's what the sorcerers do. That, that's what the gypsy women do what, when they claim to be able to talk to the dead and see through falls. And, and they take um, the, these silly old white women and they just take their money again and again. again, and again. Yeah, same thing with those uh, statues that bleed, uh, cry blood and all that other stuff. It's just to get people to pack in and fill the coffers up. You know? Well, it's all garbage. Danny turned the sensitivity on his microphone down so low he can't talk. Sorry, Mark. So what about Jake when he asked for the name? What, what, what's your take on that? Hit me with that again. Wait, so what's what's your take on when Jacob asked for the, uh, the name? He wanted to know what he was fighting. He wanted to know who it was. I, I, I don't really have an opinion. I haven't really looked into it that way. I, I never looked at it from that perspective that that, that it was that, uh, that that we should really wonder about it. You know what I mean? I can just kind of see his point. Like, hey, man, are you are you a cool angel or a bad angel or what? You know? Let's look at that story.
Hello? Martin, you're giving me feedback. And Jacob was left alone, and they wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. That's an odd statement. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. He said, I will not let thee go except thou bless thee. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. He said, thy name shall be no more called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince has now power with God and with men and has prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. In other words, he wouldn't tell him his name. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. My life is preserved. So Jacob says he saw God face to face. Well, well he, he believed that whatever being he wrestled against was definitely um, not of this world, right? I don't think it was Yahweh. I don't think it was, you know, I think Jacob maybe saw the image of God and believed that. I, I don't know. I can only guess, right? Because I don't have any more than you have reading the King James. It's just something we aren't told a whole lot about. I, I don't remember another reference to this that would offer any more knowledge than what's written in Genesis. Now, I'm kind of curious. Uh, I, I, I've noticed the thing about the blood being mostly made into the thigh and all that, but I can't help but also get the image in my mind of when uh, a brother won't take on his uh, widow's wife and he has his shoe taken off to make, make him hobble home, and the whole dislocation of the hip seems to Im you know, mimic that in a way. I don't know if I'd read that much into that. Yeah. How, how's that, Bill? Are you guys? Um, well, well, I won't be able to tell until it, until it doesn't work, right? <laughs> now, now I'm getting feedback from Mark. From the people oh, here, right? I can hear it really bad. I don't know what's the matter here. Today's like feedback day. We don't come to team speak enough. That's the problem. We have to come to team speak more often. Yes. Well, I was working yesterday. Everything was okay, but so, um, I moved my telephone away from it. But you know, another uh, another problem is um, in understanding the, the Christian identity message is um, you know, these Jews and stuff haven't been brainwashing our children. So in way since they're born, um, the only way you can get around it with that is to not have a TV for one thing, and to uh, have to teach your children young. Because by the time they get into school, you know they indoctrinate them, and uh, like they're doing over here with the children. And they'd be good socialists and they love uh, anything that breathes. 
course, it's always directed at the whites. <clears throat> I don't see them, or I haven't heard of them packing the Chinese uh, country and, or packing China with all these Pakistanis and blacks and everything like that. Always the white nations. But um, another thing, too, that uh, amazes me is how people are programmed. If you do open your mouth, they're programmed to be, have the word for you, you know, racist or, <clears throat> you know, you're a hate monger or you're anti-Semitic or automatically they're programmed. But, but don't you think, Danny, that we've got to make sure that we develop a a responding vocabulary? Yes. Just when when they say something like "you're racist," say, "Well, I'm patriotic." Um, right. You know, or when when they're talking about, um, you know, immigration that is, um, you know, as we're having at the moment, which virtually anybody can come here. You know, you can talk about um, not being racist, but uh, why commit national suicide and um, have your own vocabulary and use it, um, retaliate, because otherwise you're demonized and, and the argument is closed down before you start. Yeah, just like that. You're, you're, you're we can never be afraid of their words, right? Oh, no. Well, um, it's... It's the, the thing about it is it's the children that they are after, and it's the children that we have to educate. Um, I've seen, for example, in my family, um, a, a niece of mine, very Christian, you know, and uh, coming along, I was, you know, I showed her Christian identity information and give her a little booklet there and inches um, years back but as soon as they got it she got into college and went to georgia tech that's it just changed became a very uh, what do you call the um women liver and the feminist and it's just amazing <laughs> so and then you look and see who the, the professors are and and that's what they're—that's what they're attacking. They're—they're they're, they're attacking us, schools, our schools, and then you know, they're, I mean, they're trying to murder our children. And people, don't, our white race, don't understand this. That's the thing. Oh yeah. Going you know, along with it. Only in this day and age, brother, will will <clears throat> the criminals be the ones that are exalted, you know. You, you get somebody to come into your house in the middle of the night to rape and murder your family, and you try to buck against them and defend yourself, and you're the hater. Yeah. And then uh, with, you know, the, these people, they just, a lot of them don't understand that, um, you know, you got these people, and they're, and they're talented, uh is probably the most filthy, hateful book written on this earth. And, uh, you know, Christ pointed it out to to our people uh, about the tradition of the elders and their teachings and everything like this. And this is what you have to teach your children. We have to get it into the children. But I do agree uh, with Bill because of the fact that, as I said before on this program, uh, uh, the Jews, when their families over in, in Israel, Israelite, they don't have TVs, children. 
They don't let their children watch TVs. And and uh, I witnessed one time during, um, what is it, the, during their, I guess it was uh, in April that they, um, <clears throat> they were having one of their Sabbaths, uh, for example, and I walked through the hotel where they were. There was a whole hundreds of them. And uh, the rabbis are all standing around watching these young kids and making sure that they didn't do anything. That is how strong they uh, they their children. Rabbis, I mean, uh, they wouldn't let the kids, uh, you know, no playing around, no good around. They all were sitting around and uh, uh, sitting on the couch and reading or whatever. That was it. Or some of them had their little blocks on their head, their building blocks. I get, I guess they get together and they build stuff with them. <laughs> but uh, I was, I was amazed at that. They make sure that their kids are on the straight and narrow. And I, this is what we have to do with our children. We have to get this, uh, this teachings into our children while they're young, so they have a good foundation. Mm. <clears throat> Because, you know, it's just, it's Judaism that they're, so our children are getting teaching, and the young, young teachers, and they go along with it. The problem is, the problem is, is people don't want to hurt some other person's feelings. They don't even know these people. They don't want to hurt their feelings, and they also want to be sociably accepted. So, you know, uh, everybody's voting for Obama, aren't you? Don't you want to see a black man become president of the United States and give him a chance? No, and and um, well, well, look at all the chances they've had in Africa, and, and they still can't do it. But, yeah, but see, but if you think like that, you you're automatically you're racist. See, this is what I'm saying. There you go. You're you're outside. How could you think like that? Because that's not. What well, you can't bow down to that bullshit. You can't. You, you can't cower away from that gut. You have to tell them flat oh, out. Oh, I this is, they I can't do it. They could never do it in Africa. What the hell makes you think they're going to do it anywhere else? Over here. Yeah, they're cutting the white farmers' heads off and raping the the women over there. Our white women, and they're going to. You're going to elect one, to, and, you know, he is from, he's from Kenya, and he was born in Kenya, so, so. But, well, uh, well, just because these idiots have a basic disconnect between cognizance and reality doesn't mean that we have to have it with them. Oh, no, but that's what I'm pointing out with our race of people in general. You'll watch them if they say something. They look around to see if everybody's agreeing with them. Oh, did I say the right thing? This is the way it is now. When it used to be, a gentleman was a man of of uh, uh, separation, and I can't think of that one word. But um, but he was uh, very, uh, uh, you know, um, what's that word I'm looking for? Distinguished and um, separated himself from. Um. But nowadays, it's uh, you, you talk to people. I notice when you're talking to them and they say something, they look around to see, you know, if everybody's looking at them or, or you know, agreeing with them. They just want to be part of the tribe or the sheeple. A lot of That's this race problem. mixing, a lot of this race mixing started 
with the Beatles and their song, Imagine. And the last one is that song, When the Whole World Becomes One. One. And and when the kids went to college, uh, when they went to high school, they were teaching this very same thing in the schools. Uh, They did a little more subtly. They say, well, we'll have peace on earth when we become one race. Mm-hmm. And so these young girls, uh, they think, well, I'll help out uh, the world to have peace, and I'll have a child uh, by another race. So they yep. think they're doing God a favor. Well, look at how they're they, uh, promoted in Hollywood now. You see all these top actors. Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, uh, Madonna, and all of them with these, you know, Chinese and black. I mean, it's absolutely, to me, it's absolutely silly. It is so silly. And I'm sure the rabbis are all laughing, too. Yeah, they're all laughing at it. But you can see why in ancient Greece, the actors weren't even allowed to vote, can't you, when they behave like that today? Nothing's changed. Oh, really? Yeah. In Rome, they, they, they wouldn't even, actors and, and um, musicians and stage people, they, they wouldn't even let them vote. Oh, they were the lowest class. They were the lowest paid class. Mm-hmm. They were lower paid than the soldiers. They were the lowest class of people because mm-hmm. it was commonly understood that they were the scum of the earth. And when the Jews took over the media in this country, in the 1920s and 30s, it all changed. Mm-hmm. And today, people look up to actors and actresses. Oh, Barbara Streisand, she's so smart. I'm going to vote for whoever she wants me to. <laughs> and cool and stars. Right. Yeah. And beautiful. You know? Be yeah, ugly as hell. Beautiful. That, that's the Jewish caricature of reality. It, it, everything, when, when the Jews are in control, what you get is, is, is the perversion of Yahweh's creation. Yeah, and what was the first thing that uh, when Hitler and Goebbels and them, they came into power, that was one of the first things they changed. They drove all the Jews out of the movie industry and, yep. and got them out of that media. You know, they have our media, the world media, so controlled. Uh, um, I, I watched I watched the show on how they how they're working against the Ron Paul and and trying to uh, you know frame him and belittle him and and I'm amazed how everybody participates. I mean, everyone you see on TV are all part of the players, and you got one man that's not one of their players, and they all just it's amazing. But you know, like I've always said that. You you don't get on TV and all that stuff unless you're you're part of it. Oh, you know God. you're part of the uh, group, the player as I call them. And um, you know they just they all mean? they just have that key. They all know how to tune in on it. Amazing. But if they didn't have the amazing control that is now finally honed. Um, we'd be learning about the virtue of the genocide in South Africa, wouldn't we? Um, <laughs> yeah. Similarly, in uh, what was Rhodesia. I refuse to call it by that stupid name, Zimbabwe. Yeah, right. I agree with you. 
But um, but no, you're 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 right, Bill. We'll have to speak up. You know, uh, you're going to vote for that idiot, Obama. <laughs> you know, and the people look at you like, oh, even over here, that guy is an absolute idiot. And they look at you like, oh, geez, you know, whoa, what's the matter with you? He's an absolute idiot, and that's why he's where he is. That's exactly right, because he's doing what he's doing. They got him to do. He's perfect for the job. He's not an American. He just signed that NDAA thing now. Uh, anyone that disagrees with <coughs> the government, you're a domestic terrorist. Boom. The media loved to talk about how brilliant Bill Clinton was, and I thought he was an idiot. He's a crafty fool. Yeah. He's a crafty fool. He's not brilliant. Yeah, he's not funny. But I mean, Obama was groomed to be doing what he's doing now, but he doesn't seem to have a past when you try and uh, find one. And it, that combination of the grooming and the diebold voting machines oh. is yeah. going to give them success every time, isn't it? Right, yeah, and they can, they can program he, it. He, ne- he never brings up that he had a white mother. He never brings up that he was brought up by his white grandparents. So people ought to realise, as soon as they race mix, the white race is wiped out and forgotten. I mean, not that I thought I wanted to be remembered that way, but he never brings them up. He's, uh, why doesn't he do that? Why don't you see his relatives that are white? Like he's had the photographs with his Kenyan father and relations, and yeah. what he's said all about. I, I'm, a, I'm absolutely amazed how you can't even bring a lawsuit up against them. There are no courts. It's just that they are the Jews are at the zenith of their power right now. And yeah. studying history. Uh, whenever they have their zenith or their peak of power is always the time that they lose it. I think now uh, they are at their peak. and uh, Well, let me say that we hope they're at their peak. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't quite think so. Let me say that we hope they're at their peak. Yeah. They haven't had that knock at the door at 3 in the morning yet. Why I say that, because the white person in this country now has no say. The black is coming to the forefront. Just like in America. That is just happening now, and it's rapid. So we have no say. Yeah. Um, it's becoming obvious. What, uh, I haven't heard any more information about, what was her name, Emma, Emma West? Yes, you know, I was in Croydon last week, and actually, (laughs) the trams that run there, and I was looking around, it used to be a lot of Asian, Pakistan and Indian there. Mm-hmm. But I haven't been there for about five years, and right. there are a lot more Africans there now. Well, those coloured Asians will not marry an African, 
So I think they're moving out in here, and the Africans are moving in. Yes. They won't associate with Africans. Uh, they won't. Uh, there goes the neighborhood. Yes. Yeah, so. Black are moving in. This is my daughter. And she sees nothing wrong in it, nothing wrong in it at all. I mean, it's very frustrating. I just have to bite my tongue. Because... Yes, um, I was, uh, I found this uh, website, I've, I've said it probably three or four times. Um, <clears throat> and it gives you, uh, I am an Englishman. <coughs> But uh, they give you a lot of statistics and stuff, and also talk about the dem uh, the, the beatings and the attacks by these people. And uh, these Asians, I see that they're uh, they attack in packs. Uh, well, they go out and um, attacking elderly people, uh, anybody anybody white, they go out and they attack and. You know, and they're always saying that these people are so timid and they're so, you know, they're so hospitable and this kind of stuff. But uh, it shows that well, they're not. The people in this country don't, uh, haven't been told this. It's all hidden. Oh, I was amazed. going about their business thinks everything's lovely. I, I was mean, amazed. Of the men of the crimes that's been going on, and again, as you, as the English or the British people here, tell you that they had this uh, Stephen Lawrence also, you know, going. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they convicted a couple of the heroes that took them out. But um, in this, I am an Englishman website. They have uh, there's over two thousand six hundred and ninety four of these. Murderers and rapists and all these non-white blacks, uh, these niggers, these Pakistanis, all this scum, um, <clears throat> who committed these horrendous crimes. You never now. This was after that uh, Stephen Lawrence, and you never hear anything. I mean, they have this one guy here, Peter Bryan, and he was a serial killer of at least three people. I don't want to go on about this, but I was absolutely. I, I couldn't believe this. We've gone this far in, in Britain. But uh, <clears throat> they were at this, this nigger, and they caught him in the house. He was frying the brains up of one of the victims that he killed when they caught him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was frying uh, He was frying some guy's brains up. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. And it just goes on and on and on, and these gang rapes by these Asians, and the blacks do with the gang rape. But I was just amazed how these these Asians are so they attacking their packs. They're not yeah. the timid, nice little or little Indian work at in the, the Indian restaurant or anything, you know. So no, I got it close to me in my family. My grandson, friendly with a Pakistani girl. Oh boy. Mm. Uh, it's yep. really, really becoming closer to home. 
Yeah, that's why it's you know you got to try to keep them separate, even in the families and stuff. Well, I would ask him what he wants his children to look like, right? Uh, my daughter sees no wrong in it. I've wow. screamed me down. I mean, yeah. a lot of these criminals uh, that they don't deport them; they just put them right back out on the street again. They do their time, you know. Well, the, problem, the, the problem is, though, now that the first country the aliens come into in the European Union tends to be Greece. That's where they register. And then they come from there, they're then able to come from there to here, legally. Uh, well, semi legally. And then when we try and throw them out, we can't throw them out uh, and return them to Greece anymore, because Greece mm. is supposed to no longer be a safe country. Probably not. Well, that's what Probably they're asking. Well, of course it's safe. Yeah. Mm. Well, they, they keep the keep the, the scum out, and it, it'll be safe. But well, uh, I, I just didn't think it was on that type, that scale in uh, in Britain. Like it is. I mean, I know they've had the problems, but I didn't realize so. I mean, it's absolutely horrendous. And you can't have a gun, uh, you know. <laughs> and I see a lot of these attacks are knives. So it doesn't uh, it doesn't matter. They'll, they'll get grab something. But but another thing that gets me is where's the white men? Yeah, because they face this stuff every night on television. There's a murder, two or three murders a night. If they've been looking at that for the last 20 years, mm -hmm. it's natural, isn't it, that they've been, they think that's the norm. Yeah. I've been uh, caught it. Caught crime by the TV. I mean, there's a guy here who murdered uh, a white woman. And uh, right in front of her baby, he's uh, uh, <clears throat> murdered the wife, murdered the baby, stabbed him to death, you know. Jailed, he said it was jailed for life, but probably do about maybe 15 years or something and let him out on good conduct. But I don't, I don't think they should be put in jail. They should hang him. Yeah. I wouldn't even deport them. I would just hang them. But a lot of these people, they need to just be, they're career criminals. They go in, they come out, they do the same thing. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, these judges and stuff are letting these these people uh, get out. And if you say anything, you, you know, you're the racist. But, you know, if you have this information under your belt, close at hand, or you can point this out to people, they'll take a second look. And, uh, but, uh, it's just absolutely amazing. And, and they try to tell us that, you know, that, uh, we need to be multicultural and teaching our children this. And the cartoons now, you know, it's all, <laughs> it's all, uh, black and white. Yeah. You know, the dolls, as I said before, the dolls, you know, baby dolls, the little girls play with, they're all getting kind of darker and darker. That's what you call real hate. Like Yashua called them, you know, they are. 
are the murderers. Are the murderers. Seems like the hanging, though, it seems to be a waste of some good rope, though. I'd rather just uh, have Legal Man with one of his swords and just go to town. <laughs> well, now you don't know why the blood's going to be to the horse's bit. There's going to be a lot of, uh, lot of execution. Yeah, because it's like, you know, when, you know, when I think about it, it's like, yeah, you could be hung or whatever, but you know what? You've been trying to separate us from our head? Oh, no. Let's see. Let's show you. and Let's see how you uh, like how it feels, you know? Well, it's another thing, too. You know, they don't know their, their identity. They don't know who they are. Don't know that we're supposed to be separate from these people. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's where our job comes in. I feel about it. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, when it's somebody else, you know, another people, whatever, you know, just, I mean, I don't believe that, you know, torture ain't cool, whatever, just, just, just knock them all out, you know, and then our people that, that turn or whatever, you know, you get the same fate, but at the same time, while we're hacking those other peoples, we're like, you know, we got the hate in our hearts for them. But when other yeah. people screw up, yeah. it's just like, man, you know, I love your brother, but, uh, you know, the sinning, you got to go. You know, you're being deferred to the Supreme Court, unfortunately. You know, it's just like, man, I can hardly wait until you're back right, man, back with us. Yeah. Well, Emma West will be in court on February 17th. She's been charged with two racially aggravated public order offenses. One was intent to cause fear. Oh, boy. Intent to cause fear? Yeah. That's ridiculous. There she was, sitting on the, the tram or wherever with a two-year-old on her knee. I mean, she didn't even stand up. That's ridiculous. Terrible. Then you yeah, I'll, post I'll post this article. It's on the beat. Uh, I'll post it on the site. Okay. Uh, I'll put the link here in the, uh... There you, you go. See that, you see that uh, Stephen Lawrence's parents and lawyer, or I don't know, whoever that one nigger is, the big Paul, was standing up there just gloating away how, you know, justice has been served and everything like that. But I mean, how they? Who knows what they were doing uh, 18 years ago Yeah. on a Tuesday night? And you got what you're talking about. You have all these people since since that Stephen Morris. All these people, these these animals, man. These are animals here, uh, and the crimes that they have committed. That don't hear anything. All you hear about, you see, is this uh, big nigger standing up there, and justice has been served right now. But they still have a couple more that they have to bring to trial, you know, and and all this kind of stuff. I noticed reading this Emma West thing, it says that the magistrates granted her bail on condition that she doesn't travel on a tram within the Croydon and Sutton area, lives and sleeps at her home address, and does not comment on the case. (laughs) How's the girl going to work and eat? She evidently exactly. doesn't have an automobile or she wouldn't have been on the trail. Yeah. Right. Oh. And, uh, when you look yeah, around... There's only one crime and that's racism. Of 
according to this look. Yeah. And I'm sure that if she didn't have that baby, that one nigger that was sitting behind her, you know, he would have uh, blessed her. But I'm sure that he would have probably fought back. But, and I'm also sure that the white guys there would just probably look down and... That baby didn't stop that nigger from hitting her. The camera did. So... And that other white girl that ran over and gave him a big hug and... <laughs> Just, uh... There's one, he was driving his car on the wrong way on the motor motorway and slammed into a 22-year-old uh, Sam uh, Matkin's car head-on. Sam died instantly. And, um, you know, this, uh, whatever he was, this African, used to get a uh, $5 cab after three hours of boozing was jailed for five years. That was it, five years. Eighteen months suspended sentence for this other guy. Uh, well, they were stealing money. <laughs> but it just... Amazing the tragedy that crimes that these uh, these animals do, and you see the way they live in their countries. Uh, Bill's got some really good uh, video there, media stuff that uh, shows the way it is in their country. What is it? Was it the Congo? Seventy percent of the women are raped. Right, that's how they live. That's how they do it in the ghetto, too, but we don't hear about it in the ghetto. What we don't, they, you know, blacks, and I try to explain this to idiots that think that blacks are decent and, and, um, law-abiding in, in their cities, and, and that's, well, look at Detroit, right? That's a huge lie. Blacks have a, a, um, a taboo against reporting crimes that they commit against each other to the man, to the white police. They see authority as white, and, and they, that they belittle, they injure other blacks who run to the authorities. So most black-on-black -black crime is not reported unless there's something that can't be explained, like a dead body or something like that. Yeah, yeah. In this country at the moment, um, if you listen to the media, there is only white-on-black crime because we're institutionally racist. That's how it is being put, put about. And the Stephen Lawrence case has been going on for 18 years. And finally, they, uh, they've got this gang of... Uh, Half of the gang of whites, but how you can trust DNA evidence after all that time, I don't know. Yeah. But they they have they have to have um, uh, you know a white um, uh, tattoo or whatever. Have had three days full coverage. Yes. Uh, yes. In the Daily Mail for the last, yeah. and tomorrow his father's going to be on the front page. She's opened all her photographs up three days. 
black in the majority of crime is black on white, and yet that is almost totally suppressed. Yeah, and they're and they're uh, they're executing police too. Yeah, the police are getting executed by these guys. Like it's no. Uh, here's a, uh, it's a Leon Dudley murdered Constable Andrew Munn, and uh, well, he, he murdered two police. Okay. Um, big deal. Yeah, you didn't hear anything like that. He could, this 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 animal killed two police officers. After that, Stephen Lawrence, like I remember, yeah. there was a policeman who was who was murdered three weeks after Stephen Lawrence. As I said before, I believe yeah. he was a father of three children. Mm-hmm. Nothing was ever said about it. I mean, yeah. they just you know they reported it. Yeah, that's sad. That's it. Well, that's okay because that's just black on white crime, and that's they have. A, I believe the white people were brainwashed with this, and it's okay. Well, I mean, apparently when when um. Um, a black person goes to the police station to report a, cr- a crime. It doesn't matter what sort of crime it is. The police always ask them if, if they think it may be of a racist nature, but they do not uh, ask the same question of a white person. Isn't that something? And that is a fact. As you see, the police, you know, they're on the front lines with it. They, they know. It's the, it's the blacks, like my cousin said, you know, if there wasn't any blacks, there wouldn't be any crime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely what we thought. Yeah, crime. Right. Not just blacks, everybody. Wherever, we let one thing in, it all, the, you might as well blow the doors off the hinges, you know. It, it, but one wolf into the sheepfold, what are you going to end up with? Dead mm-hmm. sheep. There's no way around yeah. it. Yeah, I also heard, too, that if you bring these non-whites into your classrooms of white children, automatically their grades start to, uh, will get lower. Having them, these uh, blacks and stuff into your classrooms. Because they're a constant distraction. They're clowns. And they're always leading the kids, you know. Yes, they do. White kids astray and. Straight down the path to hell. Right. Because the white kids, they think they're cool because they're mouthy and everything, and they want to copy yep. them. And they're mouthy goofballs. They, they shun all authority. They shun all respect for for, uh, for learning and for um, that they have no obedience at all. That, that They're just class clowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a horrible situation. It, it's destroyed our educational system. Integration has destroyed the educational system. It, it's a, a wonder our kids learn the alphabet by fourth grade. Yeah. They don't learn much more by the eighth grade. No, I think... They're doing you know, calculus in, the, in ninth grade, tenth grade, and, and they're not... They don't even have the math skills to get into college, most of them. Oh, no. no they, I think their intelligence peaks about 28 years old and 10, and that's it. And their average is on the average of a moron. What is it, 70? 70 or something. Uh, that's pretty low on the average. 
But uh, you, you, uh, as I tell, I tell my kids and stuff like that, take away the white influence and how they live. Look at how they live in Africa. My brother-in-law just, he just, he was in, um, uh, what was it, uh, Kenya? Went to Kenya a couple months ago. And uh, he just came back and just, I said, well, how would you like that classy place? He just shook his head. These people are, are literally dogs. They're nothing more than like pit bulls, man, you know? They no. tear up everything. You lit a pit bull in your house, your whole house is going to turn to crap, you know? And that's exactly what's happened. Uh, you know, no, I mean, no, no, no. There's always children mingling with the... With Prime. <laughs> You know, people. Oh, I, I thought I'd, I'd end the program here. I hate to end early. If, if um, anybody else has anything else to say, but I will see you here for two weeks. Very good. Thank you, William. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Bill. Praise you. Thanks so much. Thank you. I'll be on. Um, I'll be here on King Street tonight. I, I'm, I have a Bible study at 8 p.m. that's going to broadcast through Christogenia and here on speak, and, and then I'll be on Talk Show tomorrow night with the Epistle of James. And Rock on. I'm not sure yet what I'm doing on Saturday, but I'll probably make my mind up sometime between now and tomorrow night. Very good. You all Praise you Good night. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night.